Will you turn in your Bibles to Second First Thessalonians chapter two? First Thessalonians chapter two. And I'd like to read verse thirteen with you, if I may. Paul writing his first letter to the Thessalonians, one of the first letters Paul ever wrote as an apostle, wrote to them thanking them and reminding them of the reason that he was thanking the Lord for them. Here in verse 13 stated, And we will also thank God consistently for this that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you who believe. During our Wednesday night Bible study, we found ourselves in Nehemiah chapter 8. Nehemiah chapter 8, I believe, is the climax of the book. It is when the nation of Israel is once again brought back to the Word of God. For they had uh, departed from the Word of God. The Word of God was not present in their society for many, many, many years due to the fact that they had sinned against God. God judged them. And as a result of them being judged, they were carried off into Babylonian captivity, where there they found themselves then in a society that was so foreign to them that many of them conformed to the society in which they found themselves. But after the time allotted for the time of judgment, God then brought a remnant of people back to the nation of Israel And when they returned to Israel, they found Jerusalem in ruins, they found the temple in a ruin, and they found the wall around Jerusalem in a ruin. And the book of Nehemiah is Nehemiah commissioned by the Lord to go and return to the nation of Israel, to Jerusalem specifically, to rebuild the wall around Jerusalem, and also to once again reestablish the Jewish people as God's people, and one of the means by which he, had, which he did that was by reminding them of their inheritance through the covenant of Moses. And so he had Ezra the priest in Nehemiah 8 read the word of God to the people from early in the morning till midday for several days in a row until they read it all. And the people wept at the end of the readings because the word of God had been so distant from them and it had been foreign to them. They realized how wrong they were and had been before God due to the conviction that the word of God brought upon their life. 300 years earlier, when God was dealing with his people, he stated through the prophet Amos, he said this, and I read this to you. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord God, when I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread, nor of thirst for water, but of the hearing of the words of the Lord. They shall wander from sea to sea and from north to east. They shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, but they shall not find it. God said to them, due to the fact that you haven't been faithful to the word that I have given to you, no further revelation will be given to you through either prophet or by me 
or by any other means, that there will be a famine in the land for the Word of God. I believe that what we see taking place before us in our secular society is a world formed apart from God's Word. We're starting to see what it would look like when man decides in his fallen state to create a society, to create a world apart from God's Word. Over the last 30 years, we witnessed God's Word being pulled out of every public place in our nation uh, across the land, haven't we? From the Ten Commandments in certain court, uh, courtrooms throughout America to the you know, simple acknowledgement of God's Word in our public classroom. And now we have come to a point where we have divorced the people from the Word of God here in our society to allow those who desire to architect and to design a society apart from God's Word to do so without the remaining conviction that the Word of God places upon the hearts of the people. Fifty years ago, even though individuals weren't, you know, professed Christians, there was still an enormous respect for the Bible in the hearts of people. We don't see that any longer, and as a result, the world now is being uh, forced into an image, uh, conformed into an image that is so foreign to you and I who do hold to the Scriptures, because what they are doing is that they are drafting a world without God before our eyes. So what does that mean for you and I today? Over the last two months, I've had various conversations with people stating that they have discovered that churches find themselves at a crossroads because churches that were faithful to teaching God's Word are now starting to grow smaller and smaller in number. And as a result, they are wondering if they need to change course, do something different, They discover when teaching topical teaching simply on meeting certain felt needs uh, of the congregation, saying addressing the issue of fear, the issue of anxiety, the issue of uh, budgeting, the issue of marriage and so forth, that they draw a certain degree of people. But if then they were to go through an expositional study of a book of the Bible, simply talking about a theology such as salvation or the end times or the Holy Spirit, etc., people are not nearly as interested today as they once were in these subjects. Now, I believe that the Bible speaks a lot concerning fear, worry, and anxiety. I believe that the Bible has the answers for those uh, individual situations. However, though, many of the topical teachings that I hear addressing these situations simply deal with the symptoms of fear, worry, and anxiety without really addressing the prominent issue that's causing the fear, anxiety, and uh, worry. And as a result, it's simply like giving a person who has a headache due to a brain tumor an aspirin or Advil. Yes, it takes away the pain, right? But the tumor remains. I believe that the only way we as Christians can be healthy is on a healthy diet of the Word of God. You know, I like buffets just like everybody else. And I like buffets because as an adult, I am no longer bound to eat my fruits and vegetables and my meat before hitting the dessert counter. 
And do you notice that any, any good buffet always puts the dessert counter first? Now, they know what people want. And sure, you can go to these places and you can hit the buffet table each and every time, and specifically the dessert section of that buffet table, and you are going to be a very uh, uh, happy individual, but you're not going to be a very healthy individual. We need to understand that God has given us His Word that we may be healthy individuals. I do care if you are uh, overwhelmed by life circumstances. I do care if you are struggling with fear and anxiety, and I will be the first one to come alongside of you and pray with you and encourage you through God's Word. But I love you too much just to deal with your uh, symptoms. I want to deal with the overall problem. For example, when it comes to fear, fear is a true result of a lack of faith. I don't mean that to belittle you or to demean you in any way. That's what the Bible tells us, that faith is the cure to fear. But faith is only sufficient as long as we know who we have faith in, and that is God. And no one chapter of the Bible, no one verse of the Bible alone is sufficient to indicate and to communicate to us all of the nature and the character of God. That's why he had to give us 66 books over 1,500 years by 47 different authors to give us a perfect revelation of himself through his word that is substantiated and climax in the person of Jesus Christ. So if I'm going to help you to have faith to overcome fear, what I must first do is help you understand the God in whom you serve and follow. To do that, we must take you through the Bible. We must deal with passages. And sometimes, yes, we're going to hit the desserts. But other times, we're going to hit the broccoli. We're going to hit the other things that you may not find nearly as appealing, but necessary to bring you to where you need to be to deal with the, the things that are in front of you in life. On behalf of my, on myself, and I believe I can speak for Joe and Chris, we are going to commit to continue to do this regardless. And the reason we're doing this is because we believe fully and are fully convicted that this is the best way to proceed forward. We've never desired to be the largest church. We've never desired to have all of the bells and whistles and programs and facilities that other churches had. We've always just simply desired a healthy church. One where God is loved and each other are loving each other, I should say, as God loves them. And all of that is a fruit of the healthy teaching of the Word of God. Now, saying that, I'm going to say this also. This is going to become very unpopular going forward. Because we are going to have to make the decision, and this is really where I'm coming to this morning, of are we going to commit ourselves personally and collectively as a church to the authority of the Word of God? If God says something is sin, will I agree with that? Or will I compromise with the world to simply appease the world in that particular situation or in that particular area of life? 
This is a decision that you have to make personally. Collectively, as a church, we have decided and will continue to do what we have always done because we fully believe that this is what creates healthy Christians. But many churches are wavering. Part of the reason that they're wavering is because attendance is down in many churches across our area and our nation uh, today. And therefore, giving is down. We have done everything we have possibly could here at Calvary Chapel to make it not about the money. We don't take an offering as part of our worship service, but we simply have a box in the back, and we believe that each individual is responsible for God, before God, on how they steward the finances in which God has given them, and we believe that giving financially to the church is an act of worship. I am not going to guilt you into it. We are not going to come up here with a money monitor to raise funds. We have chosen to be dependent on the Lord's provision for finances and not necessarily you. And what do I mean by that? Yes, you are often the means by which God provides money for our church. But to be faithful to what God has called us to, we had to get past what many churches fall into, and that is they build a program, they build a church, they, they build a community, and now they have to support that community financially. They have to support that church financially. And as a result, when they come to questionable texts of the Bible that may be more divisive in their church than edifying, they have a tendency to skip those portions. Or they won't address them head on. Or they'll leave it, and this is happening much too often now, leave it to the individual believer to decide for themselves if they believe or hold to this portion of Scripture. God says this, either take all of me or none of me. It's not an ultimatum that I have created, it's an ultimatum that the Bible has created. So therefore, we said we'll be dependent on God and therefore we can be for our financial provision and therefore we can be faithful to his word because we see ultimately that it is God who provides. And at times when giving was low at our church, instead of coming to the congregation and saying, listen, I'm going to have Joe check your pockets on the way out to make sure that a few coins haven't been misplaced, we prayed. And I can't tell you how many times over the 23 years when money wasn't provided through the congregants here at the church that God provided money through someone else. We'd go to the post office box and there would be a check. Because God always wanted us relying on Him for the finances. And therefore, I feel that when I get to texts that are controversial, I can teach them through the authority that God would want me to teach them and from His perspective, and let the chips fall with the individual people as they may. But I do not believe that as Christians we can pick and choose from the Bible what we want and what is not socially acceptable and still be right with God. I don't believe that's possible. We are at a crossroads as a church community, as individuals, the pressure that the world is putting on us now is greater than ever to conform to the image of the world rather than be transformed by the renewing of our minds through the Word of God. 
This morning, I reiterate to you again that we have decided to continue being faithful to the Scriptures to the best of our ability. Because it's God who started this church, it's His church, to do with as He so desires. Now, I do not say this with pride and arrogance. I say this as a commitment to you, and now I ask you as an individual, what role will the Word of God play in your personal lives? If we come back to our text here in Thessalonians, we discover that when they heard the Word being taught to them, there are four things that took place that Paul was greatly thankful for and continued to thank God for. And I hope that this would be our attitude also here at Calvary concerning the Word of God. And this begins with you. Notice again with me in 1 Thessalonians 2.13. And we also thank God constantly for this. That when you received the word of God, which you had heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you who believe, you who are believers. First and foremost, they received the word in which Paul gave to them. The word there in the Greek is an objective perspective, or I should say perception, of what was being given to them. What do I mean by that? They understood that they were giving something, they were, they were being given something by Paul that was, require, that was going to require them to be responsible in handling it going forward. Meaning that they knew that what Paul was imparting to them, they had a responsibility, therefore, before God to handle it properly going forward. When we teach the Word of God, as we heard from these wonderful children this morning, you know, observation, interpretation, application. We as Christians need to take God's Word as it's being taught to us on Wednesdays or on Sundays and apply it properly into our lives that it may have fruit. And that fruit is changing us from the inside out, helping us to interact with others properly according to the Word of God, etc. Whatever that application may be. You know, it's one thing to hear something. It's another thing to act upon what we have heard. Hearing it alone isn't sufficient. The Bible makes that clear. We need to act upon that in which we have been given, and we need to be responsible for it. And that's indicated here that they were, as they received the word, objectively, and therefore handling it responsibly. Secondly, in this aspect of receiving it, they appreciated it. And they understood that what they were being given had great value. Meaning that this was something significantly important. This is the Word of God to us. And therefore I must be responsible in handling it, and applying it, and knowing it. But I also have to understand the great value that it is to me as a believer in Jesus Christ. After receiving it, they went on to accept it, a different Greek word that is, means to inwardly uh, welcome it. They took it to heart. They appropriated it. Warren Worsby says this appropriation looks like this. How do we appropriate the word? By understanding it and receiving it into our hearts. 
and meditating on it so that it becomes part of our inner person. The meditation is to the spiritual life what digestion is to the physical life. If you did not digest your food, you would die. It takes time to meditate on the Word of God, but it is the only way to appropriate the Word of God and to grow as a Christian in Christ. In the Old Testament, the psalmist writes on meditating on the Word of God quite often. Now, in the culture in which we live, the metaphysical understanding of meditation is often associated with Eastern religions the practice of meditation. In the Hebrew culture and in the Christian culture, it's simply meant to digest, to process, to chew on. And the word used in the Hebrew has its origin in agriculture as a cow would be chewing its hay each and every day. The cow would then swallow the hay. Then in a little while, they would regurgitate it again, chew it up again in their mouth, swallow it again, then regurgitate it again, swallow it again. And this was the word that the psalmist used to describe what meditation is. It's chewing on it. Chewing on the cud is the, the actual literal translation from the Hebrew. And it simply means digesting it properly. I don't know what you like to do for a hobby. I, I like to fish. That's one of my things that I enjoy doing. And part of the reason I like to fish is because waiting there for a fish to bite, that's why they call it fishing and not catching, um, I often, just in a time of quiet, can think about God's Word. Often I'm thinking about those passages because I'm frustrated in my fishing and of how nice it would be for Jesus to come right now and just tell me to cast on the other side and I would be very profitable in my fishing at that moment. But it's a time of quiet. Maybe you jog, maybe you walk, maybe you... Uh, hike or maybe you do something else but in those moments of quietness take time to think about a passage of scripture maybe take a point to think you know i'm going to go for a walk but before i do maybe i'm just going to sit on this picnic table and i'm just going to read a little bit before i go on my walk just to allow me to think about the word of god now if i may give you a little hint if you do that with the psalms you're going to be blown away It's amazing how the Psalms come to life as you just read them and just then think about them with the Lord. It's amazing. It's like the Lord just ministering to you right there. It's just, it's, 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 there's nothing else to explain it. It's, or to describe, to parallels it. It's just incredible. That's what they did. Not only did they receive it, they accepted it, they appropriated it. But notice number three, they understood that this was the Word of God. For 2,000 years, the Bible has been challenged by the secular culture around us. Is this book in which we have on our laps truly the Word of God? I fully believe that it is. I've studied it for over 30 years. I've looked at it. I've demonstrated how the Bible is superior to any other piece of literature in our world. I've demonstrated in very Um, simple manners, the aspect of inspiration, showing and demonstrating how God was further aware of his creation and the way that it worked than even our scientists today. 
Many believe that to be a biblical Christian, we have to deny modern science. That's absolutely inaccurate. But let us also understand it's not modern science that is ahead of the Bible. It is modern science that is still catching up to the Bible. For God has ultimately told us through His Word how His creation works, because He created it. And as a result now, we see that we are catching up to those ideas that He has articulated in times past. Yes, our technology has advanced. Yes, our understanding of creation has advanced. But He knew about all of these aspects of His creation from the very beginning. There's many ways to substantiate that this is God's Word. Today in our secular colleges, especially our Ivy League colleges, Princeton, Harvard, Yale, etc., all that at one time were strong Christian uh, institutions, they are adamantly challenging the authenticity of our English Bibles due to the fact that they believe that the transmission from the original autographs of the apostles to what we have today is inaccurate and has been messed with and it has been uh, uh, fabricated and uh, it has been inflated over the 2,000 years. However, though, the Christian response to that is that compared to any other ancient uh, Greek Uh, piece of literature that we have, we have an embarrassment of riches when it comes to manuscript evidence concerning the Word of God. Let me give you an example. Today we hold close to 5,800 different pieces of Greek manuscripts alone verifying the Word of God. The next ancient piece of Greek literature that we have in comparison is the works of Homer. Can anybody tell me how many copies of Homer we have in manuscript form? We have 5,800 of the Bible. Of Homer, we have eight. That's the next one. The problem is is that individuals want to create fabricated um, conspiracies concerning the Word of God, but when the evidence is looked at objectively by both parties, they have to admit that the, the authenticity of the Bible is very difficult to question due to the overwhelming amount of evidence that we have today. If this is the Word of God, this is God speaking to you and I, this is God revealing Himself to you and I, I believe that the Word of God, therefore, must occupy a place of authority in our own personal lives if we truly believe that this is the Word of God, right? And if we believe that this is the Word of God, then when it contradicts my personal feelings, guess what? My personal feelings have to take a back seat. My personal opinion, which of course is the gold of America today, it's the idol of America today, I can make a great argument for that, has to be set aside and replaced by God's Word. This is where it's going to become increasingly challenging going forward. Because we want to be told that this ancient book is just that. It's simply an ancient piece of literature and really doesn't have any suitable role in our modern society. We're going to talk more about that in a moment. But Paul wrote, he said this concerning Scripture, the Bible. 
He says, all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for the training in righteousness that the man or God of woman, that word can be used in both ways, may be complete, equipped for every good work. This is what we need for life and godliness in Christ Jesus is we need the word of God. Then fourthly, look with me, if you will. Not only did they, they realize it to be what it truthfully was, the Word of God, they also saw its work within them. They saw that the Word of God brought about new life to those who embraced the gospel of Jesus Christ, but also those who now were Christians, they saw the Word of God working in them to sanctify them, to bring them out of this world, to bring them out of darkness into light, to bring them out of death into life, to bring them out of this conformed image that the world desires to place an individual in and to be transformed by the renewing of their mind into the image of Jesus Christ that the Bible works in people's lives. I've addressed this so many times. I know that for many of you, I'm probably repeating myself. But unless we get past the pragmatic manner in which we address and approach the Bible, we are never going to see the Bible's full effect upon our lives. The Bible is not a fortune cookie that we can simply turn to when we're having problems. Now, let me say this. We can often be given a verse in, through the word that encourages us at the moment, can't we? Sure. But what God desires more preferably is that we be on a steady diet of the word of God each and every day, proactively preparing us for the difficulties of life that lie ahead. Preparing us to suffer for the name of Jesus Christ. Preparing us to uh, be confronted by the temptations of this world. Preparing us to be able to suppress the ideologies and the philosophies that would rob us of all that Jesus has for us. It is something that is done on a daily basis that God wants us to be proactive for. I'm sure many of us have been in that situation where you schedule a doctor appointment with your doctor and they say, you know what? Uh, let me see you again in six months and, you know, try to drop a few pounds beforehand if you can. And you're like, no problem. I got six months, right? And on your way home from the doctor, you know, you're like, hey, you know, I'm kind of hungry now that you mentioned that. And Portillo's looks good. I got six months, right? And then all of a sudden, six months has gone by like that. And you're like, oh, you know, the doctor really wanted me to drop a few pounds before I went back to see her. Uh, let me get on the scale. Nope, going in the wrong way. And all of a sudden that last week, you know, you put on the music and start training like you're a Rocky Balboa, you know. God's saying, no, 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 you know, let's be proactive. Preparing your heart and your mind and your spirit, for those things that are still yet to... So read the Word daily. Read the Word daily. Pray over the Word daily in your life. How does it work in the individual? By the transforming of your mind. Paul wrote it this way in Romans 12, 1 and 2. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, 
but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And in those verses, notice two words with me. You can either be conformed or transformed. Conformed means this, that the world takes the old stuff that you were made of and changes it into the image that it wants you to be. But here's the problem with the way that the world conforms us. We think that the world conforms us, and once we get to that uh, conformed uh, state, they settle and they stop there. That's not true, is it? The world is constantly changing, so we're constantly being conformed into what the world wants us to be. But see, God doesn't want us to be conformed by the hands of this world, who, by the way, are subjected to the ruler of this world, which is Satan himself. God says, I want you to be transformed. I'm not going to work with the old stuff. I'm going to make all things brand new. I'm going to start working in your life, in and then through your life, and I'm going to start this new work through a new heart, through a new soul that I'm going to give you. And as a result, therefore, I'm going to bring you back to the state in which I always desired you to be, and that was the state of perfection. Now, we're not going to arrive there until we are home to be with the Lord, but this is what God would have for you. He wants you to be transformed, not conformed. Folks, if we allow ourselves to be conformed to this world, we have then gotten off the playing field, we're out of the game, because we are not going to make any difference to the world whatsoever. The world doesn't want to see another thing just like them. They want to see something different. God wants us to be transformed by the renewing of our mind, and that can only take place through the Word of God. But we have teachers in the Christian community that are making statements each and every day that are eliminating the Bible as a necessity in the life of the believer. Just this week, a pastor named Andy Stanley made another horrendous comment. He stated this, that the basis of our faith is certainly not on a book, but simply an event in history. In that one statement, he is negated the validity of the Bible in the life of the believer, stating that it's really not that important. One of my favorite pastors wrote back to him and stated this, but that event is recorded in the book and we need that book each and every day. Folks, we need to, be, we need to understand if we can truly conform ourselves to appeal to this world and maybe grow, have a church of a very large number of people, or we can be faithful to God's word and let him do all of that. Let him worry about the number of people that come into the church. Let him worry about providing for the finances of the church. Let him uh, lead and guide us. Let him be the center and the focus of everything that we do and allow him to work through his spirit and through his word in our lives. Now, does that mean we don't have a responsibility? I think we have an enormous responsibility to be faithful as individuals to the Word of God and collectively before God as a community and as a church. There were times in Israel's history that they had turned from God and His Word, and there were five characteristics that came about in their society that indicated that they were far from God. 
I went through the Old Testament looking at different passages and I tried my best to summarize all five positions for you. And I'd like to read these to you to ask you if they don't seem familiar to you today. Number one, without the Word of God, we would not know God Himself. Without the Word of God, God's Word is a special revelation to us, filling in the blanks and all the details of who God is. The Bible says we should look to creation and our own conscience to see that God exists, but all of the blanks about who God is has been given to us through the Word of God. This is the means by which God has chosen to reveal Himself to us through the Word of God. Through Israel's history, when they abandoned His Word, they got farther and farther away from Him, forgetting who He was and their responsibility before Him. And in the vacuum that that had created, notice these next four that follow. They were a society without a context. They didn't know who they were anymore. They didn't have a history. They didn't have a future. They didn't know how to determine and to look at the day's events before them. They didn't understand where everything fit. They didn't know who they were personally as an individual, collectively as a a nation. And as a result, they lost any kind of personal identity. Does that sound familiar to you? Boy, I think that's indicative of our society today and why so many are wrestling with so many different questions today, even including their own, uh, who they are as individuals. They didn't have a context, no history, no future. They also, number three, they all began to uh, standard their own personal morality. There wasn't a standard any longer. There there wasn't any one standard. So everybody began to do what was right in their own eyes. I think I read that somewhere. Today, morality in America is like uh, throwing a dart at a dartboard. It's whatever the individual so desires it to be. And we now find ourselves in moral chaos and we are truly reaping the what we have sown through this moral depravity that we have embraced. There is no standard of morality any longer. One of the greatest arguments against atheism is the issue of morality. Where is morality substantiated? If it isn't through God, where is it substantiated? And they have varying answers for that uh, question. And number four, we would be completely subjected to the natural world. Without God's Word, whatever philosophy, ideology, whatever personal desire that I may have, whatever physical appetite I may crave, I would simply look to fulfill and to satisfy those things. Without a sense of morality, I would be completely subjected to a natural world. And when we look at the parallel possibility in the secular mind of creation, evolution, what is it? Survival of the fittest, right? The weaker die, the stronger survive. It's a natural order of chaos. And as a result, we see that death is prevalent in a natural world And apart from anything else, 
each and every individual is subjected to a natural world. There's nothing more. We want to be told every single day that there's nothing more to our existence and this reality than what we can see, hear, feel, and touch. Is that true? No. And lastly, it would be a society completely without hope. Throughout Israel's existence, when they turned their back on God, they became a society without any hope for the future. Today, the suicide rate is higher than it's ever been before. People don't know who they are. They don't know what is right and wrong. The natural pecking order of our world they find now is so cruel that they have no hope going forward. People are lonelier today. They feel alone today. And these are all a result of us saying we don't want God and we don't want His Word present in our society. But see, here's the rub. God's Word is not going away. And the back of the book says, we win. And we just need to preserve and to endure until that time. Walking humbly before our God, loving Him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving one another as our neighbor. Let us understand that though the world is desperately trying to push the Word of God out of their, not, out of their conscience, and that's really what they are doing. Romans 1 tells us clearly that the Word of God is being pushed out because it violates their conscience and they don't want to feel conviction any longer. They want to believe that what they are doing is right and the only way to do that is to eliminate God's Word, but God's Word is not going anywhere. As your pastor, as your church here, we are committed to teaching you the Bible to the best of our ability. To teach you the Word of God from Genesis to Revelation to the best of our ability. To stay true to the order that He has set forward in His Word, to the prescribed manner that the church should be operated, the prescribed manner that the Christian life should be lived out. But I will tell you that it's going to become more and more difficult to do so going forward. However, though, the, the opposite is worse than with it. A world without the Word is a world without God. A world without context. A world without a standard of morality. A world that is completely subjected to the natural order. A world that is completely drowning without hope. That's not a choice for me. Not after knowing that God has given us this word. Oh, and by the way, his word tells us that this is exactly what the world will look like just before his return. I pray, going forward, that you will take me up on what I call the Psalm 119 challenge in closing. Psalm 119 is one of the longest psalms written. It is the longest psalm written. I pray that over the next 30 days that you will commit personally to reading Psalm 119. And every time you see the phrase, your word, your word, your word is being used by the psalmist, that you will stop and make a note to uh, determine what he is meaning by what he is saying. 
Because Psalm 119 shows us an individual who has been distant from the word and now is being revived by the word throughout the course of the psalm. And so I ask you that over the next 30 days, I will be calling at 12 at night to see if you're reading. I may even show up at some of your doors, okay? Now, wouldn't that be creepy? Hey, that creepy pastor's back again. Turn out the lights, maybe he won't see us. I am so passionate about the Word of God reviving our hearts that I know that we as a church, if we will commit to this together, that God's going to do a great thing here in Calvary. Notice how the psalmist goes from being distant and dry as he's writing about the Word of God, but by the very end, he's revived, he's passionate, he's like, he can't get enough of it. So every time it says your word, highlight it if you like to defile your Bible, underline it, make a little note next to it. Oh, your word is an encouragement. Your word is our courage. Your word is our peace, you know, and just keep writing. Prayerfully considering each and every time the psalmist says your word. And let's see what God does here and through his word at Calvary.